Welcome everybody back to the Domcast episode 60. We are here on July 25th. It is a Monday, only a few days after the last pod. And not to purposely time it with the Jalen Brown news, but that is just the way it happened. I promise I was actually going to do this a couple of days ago because I was kind of in a rush to get to get the next co-host on. This is a guy that I have worked with multiple times on the NBA Twitch channel, former video coordinator. This is Mode the Kill. Say what's up to the people. What's up, everybody? Dom, thank you for having me. It's always fun to be on with you. Absolutely. I've been trying to you know, get you on throughout this season, but everything just goes so fast. This is probably the fastest season of my life. So, um, you know, finally got it to finally got it to point towards the offseason. And I absolutely wanted to make sure you came on because your perspective on the uh, NBA show that we were doing throughout the season, it was probably the most entertaining guest I would say we had. Obviously, you know, you have a background working with the NBA. As a matter of fact, yeah, just you know, get familiarize the uh, familiarize yourself with the audience and let them know like what you did in working with the NBA and your time there. And we'll go from there. Yeah, I was a video coordinator with the Clippers and Spurs. Uh, I had two stints with the Clippers. I worked with Team Australia, was part of the team from 2010 to 2012. So I was part of the uh, Olympic squad uh, that went to London. And uh, now I write for Bleacher Report podcast for The Athletic, uh, do Twitch streams and and all that fun stuff. I'm all over the place, Dom. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. I, I kind of am, too, these days, spreading myself a bit thin. So uh, it definitely will be interesting to get your perspective on some things through the eyes of a former video coordinator. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, for those of y'all listening, you know that this is on Spotify. This is on Apple Podcasts. It's on YouTube. If you're on Spotify, the stars apparently help. We're almost at 1,000. And after that, I'll probably never mention it again because you, cannot, you can't see uh, the individual numbers after you get past a thousand stars. So that'll be the last you hear of it. I assume we'll get there before the start of the season. And uh, I'm I'm sorry, y'all. I'm still kind of in Twitch mode from last night. I'm trying to not call y'all chat instead of audience because we streamed for quite a while. So I'm, I'm like bumbling over my words because it hasn't even been that long. Anyways, let's start with the news that dropped. I was going to start with your, your stories and such. But again, like I said, I we was, were going to do this podcast on Saturday. This news was not public, but randomly, like in the in the just dawn of what is it? Midnight. You have two o'clock in the morning. Woj comes out with an article, apparently, which I, I guess is not a surprise. It, we talked about the KD stuff on this podcast quite a bit. And I had established that any team that has any aspirations right now should probably pick up the phone for Kevin Durant. So it feels like there's a lot of teams that have probably done something like this. However, the timing is just weird. So Woj drops the article saying that the Celtics offered Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a pick for KD. And that was rejected. The counter offer that Brooklyn wanted was Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, uh, more than one pick, and then maybe even uh, potentially another player. Now, the... Other thing that happens is Brian Windhorst comes out and says that this is probably not a fresh deal. This is something that happened weeks ago. So that begs the question even more about why this news broke when it did. But whatever, we don't have all those details. What we do know is there is now unhappy camps because Jalen Brown has publicly acknowledged the fact that he feels disrespected by Celtics fans. He's liked the tweet that says Celtics fans don't respect him probably about a month ago. Uh, He's now been dangled in a trade. And this is not the first time he's been dangled in a trade. Whenever they talk about breaking he and Jason Tatum up, he's the one that gets talked about as the trade piece. Because Jason Tatum's just not getting traded. If you understand NBA basketball, Jason Tatum is not the trade piece. 
Also, Jalen Brown is a free agent in two more years. So he has this season on his contract. He has next season on his contract. So if he is, after he tweeted out, shake my head about the news this morning, it seems like a pretty straight line to turmoil here after this news. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts on this, Mo, because when we're on the NBA channel, we rarely talk about, they don't even want us to talk about, um, you know, trade proposals or anything like that. So I'm not sure if I've ever even heard what you thought about the KD trade saga, him requesting a trade. And now this new news, because I have my own thoughts, but I've, I've talked about KD and the Celtics before on the pod. So uh, what, what's kind of your reaction to this and thoughts about, you know, this, this, really weird trade market this summer for like the last month yeah just starting with like the kd trade request i found it kind of weird um more just along the lines first off he has four years on the deal so it's it's funny because everybody's talking about the lack of leverage brooklyn has you know they have kd for four years it's not like he's going to be a free agent next year he's not threatening to leave and and leave them for nothing the next season or anything like that because literally that's four years down the road um but, you know, you as an organization, hey, if the guy doesn't want to be there, you try to find the right trade, but they don't have to make a trade that doesn't make sense for them, right? It's why they they did not seem to be interested in DeAndre Ayton. So that's why nothing ever happened with Phoenix because there's easily could have been a sign and trade with DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges and things like that and all, all that stuff. Miami Heat's package isn't very interesting and can't really pull anything together that I think would entice the Nets. Um so for me, I just kind of find it a weird trade demand from KD because, you know, Dom, the funny thing is I kind of like the moves the Nets have made uh, in the uh, <laughs> in the in the short term, assuming everybody comes back. I kind of like TJ Warren on a one year deal, assuming he could be healthy. I like the Royce O'Neal trade they made uh, to add some wing depth and things like that. But, you know, hey, KD's unhappy, want, wants out for, for whatever reason, whether it's basketball or 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 other things and and I think it's it's one of those things like they'll look into it and I don't feel like they have to rush into it by any stretch of the imagination. I don't feel like they can wait and and say, "Okay, Boston, you want give us Jalen Brown and and Derek White in a pick?" Like no, this is if you want him, this is what it's going to take. And I was kind of surprised that Robert Williams' name didn't come up in that <laughs> counter from them. Um but I think the uh the, I'm with Windhorse, and this does seem like it's a bit old news. And I think part of the reason why it leaks now is this comes from the Nets side. And the Nets are trying to get more people, drum up more support, get get more names out there so that people are kind of going like, oh, well, maybe it is Boston. Like, maybe other teams are feeling like, okay, well, we got to make a move if Boston's lurking or Boston has already taken a look at it. And I think that's something you're you're – probably trying to look at with this deal and that's why it came out now when it did and and it's it's just interesting stuff but to be honest with you dom i just don't see a good place for him to land and it's tough because that was one of the things that i said when KD first requested the trade you know the nets at that time well really that, that's only a month ago so it's the same thing kevin durant is pretty much the biggest trade asset to ever ask for a trade he's still at his mvp level and we always talk about this thing and say a team that trades a star is never going to get equal value or they're always going to end up on the short side of that. But when you're trading Kevin Durant at this level, you simply do not settle. And the Nets, like you just said, don't have to settle. We we assume they do because it's a superstar asking for a trade. But like you just said, the four years, um, he, he doesn't have a no trade clause, so he can't necessarily just choose where he goes other than maybe saying he'd be publicly like unhappy on a certain team, whatever it is. It's not like he's a he's a rental. So. He doesn't have a lot of leverage on that side. 
yeah whatever team he ends up on will likely end up like what is the thing brad stevens said he said he wants to make rosters better by adding without and making sure you're not subtracting too much well it seems like no contender would really be in position to do that when you heard the heat deal or whoever was offering what's like that's a lot for kevin durant now the situation and it's because he's 34 years old so that's the other part too he's he plays like he's still uh you know mvp candidate but reality is he's probably still only got you know a few years left so if you're contender trading for him you just gotta you have to weigh that as well now my and i'm a i'm a boston fan i'm not sure if i had ever mentioned it to you so i've picked I, up on it yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know one thing also one thing also about kd not only 34 played 35 games last year or, or two years ago 55 games last season you're beginning to kind of wonder like how how healthy will he continue to be from this point forward yeah and you have to weigh that like you, you just have to there's that there's i know we watch him on offense and say like he hasn't lost anything but in my eyes defensively and, and kd was never a defensive juggernaut but if you were to ask me to point to where he's lost the most since the achilles injury i would say yeah defensively i, I think there's like one role or there's not that many roles he can play on defense anymore he seems uh you know on, on closeouts he kind of sells out a little bit he doesn't have the same stopping power that he used to it's, it's just uh, those are so, you know, small things that i was on the defensive side but you know still it's kd and he's, he's an instant bucket he still has got that part of his game which is cool because i didn't know if he would have that after the achilles but on other podcasts i was on this summer that was a thing i said Celtics fans were gonna have to grip with this exact situation because i knew eventually again if you're a contender you pick up the phone for kd if for no other reason than the fact that he might end up on your rival side like if you're boston you're thinking oh what if he ends up with the heat what if he ends up with the sixers so you have to pick up the phone and the package that the Nets want is exactly the one I said we were going to have to grip with. If you are saying, you know what, KD puts us over the top, even if, if it's only for a few years, you're going to have to, first of all, it's going to start with Jalen Brown. And then, yeah, it's probably going to end up with with Marcus Smart in that deal as well. Now, the question, well, it's not really a question I have, but something I'm thinking about this morning is now that this news is leaked and Jalen Brown was already in these trade talks, and now he's. This is his second public acknowledgement of disrespect. It kind of feels like Boston is in a tougher position than they were before this news dropped because it's. It, it, how do you go backwards on this deal? I, I and especially because so since you've been in the league, and I'm assuming you've at least been around organizations when trade rumors were a thing. If you're Boston, is it a thing where? You just say, look, there's no there's no friends in business. We're not here to make friends. Um, you you want to treat your players right, of course, but the business is the business. Or are you going, it, it's kind of hard to turn back from this deal now if you're the Celtics, because the reality is this looks like the trajectory to, to losing Jalen Brown for nothing eventually. Two years is nothing in the NBA. It's this season, it's the 23 season, it's a 24 season, and Jalen Brown is getting unhappy, and now you've tried to trade him. Like, does Boston, in your eyes, do they need to really try to move to get this deal done now? Because at this point, I don't know, it seems like, and it, two, I guess, you know, I say two years is nothing in the NBA, but it's still kind of a long time. Anything could happen. Maybe they win a championship, but you've at least put yourself on the path to losing what was essentially your best player in the finals. Yeah, I think the... I one, I don't think Boston has to have any urgency to do it. I think they're better off in a position right now going to, hey, let's mend fences now with Jalen Brown. And you're right, like they might lose him in two years. But that also doesn't mean they might trade him in a year, right? Like, hey, if he shows signs that I'm not going to sign an extension or I have no interest in re signing here, they can move him. And I think that's part of the reason why they 
it centered any trade talks for KD around him, you know, because they knew, hey, two-year deal, possibility we could lose him after that. Like, let's, you know, see if uh, if we can get Boston, to, excuse me, Brooklyn to bite on this kind of relatively low ball offer. I know some people might get upset with that Boston fans, but it's still a bit of a low ball offer for Kevin Durant. And I think that's, you know, if you're Boston, you just got to go to Jalen going like, hey, man, this is part of the business, you know, and and if you tell us you're here and you're going to be committed and you're going to sign beyond the two-year deal, we're never going to ask for, uh, uh, we're never going to look to move you again. You know, we're not going to include you in a package or something like that unless it's something crazy or wild. But I think the, uh, the issue now is mending fences if you're Boston, right? Because it happened a few weeks ago, according to Winhurst, and the news breaks now. And like you said, Jalen Brown responds with shaking my head. And you're right. Like every time somebody talks about breaking up Tatum and Brown, it's always Brown that's on the move. And I think it's along those lines of they have to kind of start working into it. And they have to show commitment to him as well, saying like, hey, man, like we're here. If you're if, if, if you're going to commit to us long term, we're going to commit to you long term. And I think that's part of it. But here's the other side of it, Dom. And this is the thing every player needs to understand in the NBA. You're probably going to get traded at some point. <laughs> Very few guys stay with the same organization over the same for for forever, you know. And 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 I think that's kind of the the thing I think guys have to understand is there is a business aspect to it. There is a little bit of that. Hey, you got to understand that this is going to happen from time to time. My name's going to end up in trade talk sometimes. Brooklyn leaked this to try to drum up more trades for them. You know, otherwise Jalen Brown probably would have never realized this happened. And I think that's kind of part of the, the game that's being played. And, and it's funny. One of the coaches I used to work for, uh, Vinny Del Negro used to kind of tell guys when they're in trade talks, it's like, Hey man, that's a good thing. That means people want you, right? Like they're not right. doing this deal unless they're going for you. That means you have value in this league. And listen, that's spin. Let's just be honest and call it what it is, Dom. That's spin trying to trying to save yourself as an organization. But I still think the uh I still think, you know, that's that's the route they gotta start going, you know, and start kind of working on mending fences. And it has felt like for a while that I don't know how long Jalen Brown's gonna stay in Boston. There were whispers that he was even going to demand a trade when the Celtics were struggling last season. Now everything changes. You know, the, the energy shifted as uh, Jalen Brown's uh, pin tweet tells us. And, you know, they made that big run. So we'll see how it kind of plays out. But I also think some of it too, and this is a little bit on Jalen Brown, you got to be mature about this. This is a business. If you're If they have questions of whether you're going to be around after your contract's up, they're going to have to explore moving you. And that's the way this works in this business. And you got to be prepared for it. Fans have to be prepared for it. And teams got to be ready for it. Yeah, that is. We, we, we've seen it multiple times. We've seen it with this organization. Like It can just get pretty cutthroat if a player looks like he's on his way to declining. I, the, the one that everyone gives Boston shit for with Isaiah Thomas and how they traded him. Um, and as, as much as they, they talk about it, it's like, well, what happened to his career after he got traded? That was the guy that they are almost going to give $100 million to. And they made a business decision. They hadn't won a championship yet, but they've, uh, you know, molded the roster in the right direction after that move. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I have, like, Jalen Brown trade talks have uh, dominated a lot of this podcast for a while just because at the beginning of the season, like you were talking about, 
when Boston looked like maybe that group had peaked. I thought for sure Jalen Brown was gone by the trade deadline. Um, if for anything else, they always talk about who's better out of the two. But if for anything else, you look and say you got Jason Tatum more or less locked up until around 2026. Brown, if you if you want to not have a talent conversation like we just said here, you just have the contract conversation. And he's starting to become one of those star players that may not even want to be there anymore after you know, those that could start as early as pretty much next season when it's a star player and their contract is this thin and this short you know this few years left that's normally when that's when the problem starts so that is a possibility um you know jalen brown <laughs> marcus smart picks you said robert williams you were surprised his name hadn't came up I, I think with what they unlocked with him last year as a weak side defender and just being able to have him roam i think he changed the game so much for the celtics that they just don't want to trade him at at any cost especially because with this contract that and and how young he is they don't really have to look at moving him right now but um yeah it's it's tough because on one hand it there's not a just from my perspective there's not a a full fix for all of this or not a totally good situation for all of this on one hand it's kevin durant and he is 34 years old and you do need to if, if you do end up with him yeah you need to win within the next two or three years it does shorten your window on the other hand this is a really really tough nba right now in the eastern conference uh and the nba overall when you get to the finals that group may never make the finals again or if they do they might never win one you, you just don't know so you just kind of have to pick the path that you think is best and if you're the Boston's front office and you think it's best to, to get KD to push you over the top for a few years and play with Tatum and just try to, you know, build from there and, and hopefully have another young piece that can come after KD, whatever you think it is, you just kind of have to pick a path and go forward. And so um, I, I do say like, yeah, Jalen Brown has probably been disrespecting the Celtics fan base, but also uh, for the third or fourth time I've said in the last 18 minutes, if you're a contender, if you're the fan of a contending team, you better hope they have picked up the phone for KD and at least tried or will try in the future. Because, again, if he gets traded from Brooklyn, he will end up in your backyard somewhere. You're going to have to deal with that. And so maybe the truth is, yeah, the, the truth is, too, Tom, is every team probably made a phone call. Right. Yo, what's the what's the package? What, what are you guys looking for? Every team probably called Utah. What's the package for Donovan Mitchell? Like, it's not, you know, when a star player comes in especially a guy that has years on their contract left and you don't have to worry about free agency and them leaving in the next year or so or play that dance of like will he resign da, 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 will he extend and all that stuff you make the phone call you have to inquire that's the job and if that's and if they're not making those phone calls you need a new front office because they're missing on opportunities and they're missing on situations that they could possibly be on not necessarily even the star player but hey Let's make it a three-team trade and let us get somebody out of that, you know, or, or 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 something like that. So, you know, every team had to have called. I would be shocked if 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 there was a team that didn't call. And if the team didn't call, that owner should be looking at his front office, going like, uh, "What's going on?" You know, that's that's part of the the the, the deal. There is you got to have these conversations. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of the three-team deal, that is exactly that was kind of my hope when I knew the Celtics were going to pick up the phone. My hope to avoid. I didn't think there was a realistic path to getting KD without Jalen Brown, but if there ever was, I was hoping maybe it'd be a three-team deal where they end up sending out a Marcus Smart and some depth and picks and another team is involved and we get KD back, but that that's really not, that's, that's highly unrealistic and that's probably doesn't even work with salary cap anyways. Um, so to wrap up the, the KD thing, you've mentioned at the beginning, he's got four years on his contract, so this was a really, this was probably the most odd trade request, all things considered and the timing of it. 
Do you think he gets traded before the offseason ends? Or you think he's going to start the season in Brooklyn? Like, how do you see this you know, playing out? I think he starts the season in Brooklyn. I just don't see... I don't see a package out there that really makes sense that that works. I don't see Boston putting in a a, a making that deal because they would have done it already. If 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 Windhorse is accurate, this would have happened already. They would have put in Smart. They would have added a couple of picks, and boom, that would have been the deal. Um, I don't see a place, and 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 part of it is just the difficulty of things like. Hey, Bam Adebayo's on that rookie extension and can't be traded to Brooklyn because Ben Simmons is there. You know, same like most of the guys Brooklyn is asking for, they can't tr- actually get because the Ben Simmons contract. So with that, I just think Katie starts the year in Brooklyn and 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 they kind of go from there. The Brooklyn Nets grip on how to deal with this situation with uh, KD having requested a trade, which by extension means Kyrie will probably end up being traded too if it ever if this all ever comes to fruition it would be brooklyn starting over but here we are on july 25th nothing has happened yet it's been nearly a month since the request so we will continue to uh monitor this developing story a story that has been going on for a while we kind of knew it was coming because of the way the lakers season went los angeles lakers they are still trying to find a way to offload Russell Westbrook, which we knew was going to be difficult. Um, once the season got to a certain point for the Lakers and I started looking at Westbrook's contract situation, I was going, OK, well, he's going to pick up a $47 million option because that's just what you do. And then that's going to make it really tough to move him. And here we are also on July 25th. There has been numerous deals from everything with the Nets and trying to bring Kyrie back. Uh, we hear Utah's name thrown in the fold now. We know that they are trying to maybe deal with the Pacers and and Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. What do you make of this situation with the Lakers trying to to get rid of Westbrook? Because as, like he had a, he had a bad season. Like people can shoot bail and say he played a certain amount of games or whatever it was, but there was a lot of things. And, and Westbrook has always had questionable decision making or whatever, but it was just out of character things going on in the Lakers season in terms of him finishing the ball slipping um just just many bad moments so beyond that it was already kind of hard to imagine how he was going to fit with LeBron anyways I know they didn't get to play that many games together but with them on the floor and LeBron needing spacing and then both of those guys kind of dominating the ball didn't ever really know how it was going to work and now the Lakers are in the last inked deal or uh, the inked season of LeBron's contract. So he can go somewhere next summer if he wants to. And this doesn't work out. That's why the Lakers feel extra pressure, in my opinion, to get rid of Russell Westbrook. So far, it hadn't happened. And I saw you I saw you, you tweet a couple of things about the Pacers deal. So I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts with these deals and, and um, you know, the directions that they're looking and if they're going to be able to pull it off, because on one hand, we have like summer league with him, him and LeBron sitting on opposite sides of the gym and not acknowledging each other. And on the other hand, you have Darvin Ham laying out the field on how he's going to try to use Westbrook and saying, don't give up on him yet. And then we got a random, random report about Westbrook, AD and LeBron apparently having a phone call, which I, I never know what to make of those stories because I, I don't understand sources or anything. I and fix I, all my relationships with one phone call. I don't know about <laughs> you, Dom. It takes one phone call. I fix everything on that call. I don't know. Uh, about, like, that's just I, it just felt normal to me, man. <laughs> just that simple, right? Yeah. What? Yeah. Everything offloading Russell Westbrook. Huh? What do you see with this? I mean, one, this is a level of this is my favorite topic because it always leads me to Laker arrogance. 
Um, and and to me, I find it very arrogant that the organization thinks like, hey, we're going to send Russell Westbrook and his $47 million and a first-round pick to Indiana, and we're going to get two players back that really are going to help us in Buddy Heald and Miles <laughs> Turner. Whatever your opinions are, they're going to help the Lakers, right? Depth is the big man position, and obviously they desperately need shooting in Buddy Heald. Also kind of funny that they would trade for Buddy Heald now when they should have done that last season instead of trade for Westbrook. But I just find it funny that they think they can do that with just Westbrook and a draft pick. There's no way that deal happens without two draft picks being involved because Indiana's probably going to buy out Westbrook. So that move alone is going to cost them $40 million right off the bat because I can't imagine him taking less than that. And I think you're in a, a, a situation where like, if you're trying to get players back that can help you, it's going to cost you two picks. And the Lakers do not want to do that. Right for what right or wrong is a different story, right? Just the Lakers do not want to include two picks for uh, in in any trade to dump Westbrook. Unfortunately for them, that's the cost in the market. If you're going to get something back, if you're going to get a Kyrie Irving back, if you're going to get a Turner and Heald or whatever other concoction that comes up, that's what it's going to take. And I think the uh, I just find it very arrogant on their end. And I think with the Lakers, um, and excuse me, with Russ on his end. It's a tough position. He just doesn't fit that team. He didn't fit last year. He was never going to be a good fit with LeBron. Whether you're a Westbrook fan or not, he's at his best when the ball's in his hand. Well, you're not taking the ball out of LeBron James's hands to put it in Russell Westbrook's hands. Sorry, that, that makes you a worse team. And I think that was the miscalculation that the Lakers had was they wanted this to be able to lighten the load on LeBron. And that's kind of like... No, you need to maximize LeBron, not lighten the load. Sorry, LeBron, like you're 37. We're going to ride. We're going to go all the way in here on you and try to put the best team around you, win a championship, another one, and, and keep going. But you can't try to sit there and think like we're going to lighten the load on LeBron and it's going to work out. And I think that's kind of been their their problem and their downfall as the organization. Who it, It's so funny, Dom. They won a championship two years ago, but we it, it feels like they never won one. Yeah. In the way we talk about them, right? And, yeah. and and myself included. I have to remind myself, like, yeah, they won a championship in 2020. You got to relax. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the arrogance of the organization in that, like, they just think, hey, teams will give us their stuff for Westbrook. And it's like, no, like, you're not understanding the market. And that's a problem for them. I don't think, I don't think a trade happens and they get off Westbrook unless they're willing to just take a salary dump. And that's where they're able to only put out one pick in the deal. But I don't think they even want to do a salary dump. They're trying to use Westbrook and a draft pick to get them an asset. And I just don't think there is one. And I think that's kind of the, uh, there's no deal out there for them in that area. It's going to cost them two of those draft picks. And they don't want to mortgage their future any more than they already have with the AD trade. So they're in a tough spot, man. I, I don't know how they really kind of get out of this. As much as the Pacers might want to get off of Buddy Heald and Miles Turner for contract reasons, they good on them for not budging with this. Because you're right. Like, it is kind of ridiculous. It, there's a lot of, you know, have your cake and eat it too energy from the Lakers in that deal. Because, yeah, sure, Indy you know, obviously is looking to move these guys, but they're not just going to do it for Westbrook so they can, like you said, get rid of them. And then just a pick. Like you. And, and if you're the Lakers, right, you just have to, in my opinion, acknowledge that it was a mistake from the start, which, again, last year, would, like you said, probably should have gotten Buddy healed. Um, apparently, LeBron was all in on Westbrook. Just kind of have to acknowledge there is not 
a situation where you really flat out win here and i guess that's from my perspective the issue is lakers look like they are searching for a flat out win because yeah if you can just move russ in the pick like you said get healed in turner that in the lakers situation that helps and it, it's that thing about beggars can't be choosers you're trying to get rid of a very expensive contract for a guy that right now just teams don't necessarily want and so trying to get, i don't even yeah, I don't even know his value when he gets bought out. Like, yeah. I don't know how many teams are going to go. Like, I don't see a contender running after him to have him come off the bench and be a, a, a buyout guy. Like, I just, it's, it's, that's how low his value is. And it's like the Lakers are thinking it's the 80s when they can just ship off their, uh, their, and, and, and this is going to sound pretty bad, but their garbage and get a jewel back, you know, from right. another team. Like that that's what happened in the 80s, right? Like they right. would uh, the, the Lakers and the Celtics would package some sort of thing and and and, and get Bill Walton or <laughs> or whatever. You know, you're like, yeah, "Wow, yeah. okay, all of a sudden and now they're killing again." Um so, but it's just like that's that's the thing with the Lakers that that kind of shocks me. And you're right in the, like they're trying to win the trade with Russell Westbrook and there is no winning that trade. Oh, yeah, I made a video at the beginning of last season called that this was Westbrook's last chance. That season was Westbrook's last chance. And one of the things I'm pretty sure I said there, if not, then I said it over the podcast throughout the season was that, yeah, after this, I don't know what his next role is because most, and it was me looking for teams that he fit with. And I was just going, I saw an article come out a couple of days ago about someone saying, maybe it was an ESPN head that said it about Westbrook being able to help the heat win a championship. And I'm just going, any team, any contending team, I don't know who needs what he brings at this point. And so for him to help a team, it would have to be a total adjustment of his game. It would have to be accepting that, hey, sometimes that mid-range pull-up just ain't it. Sometimes <clears throat> that three-pointer just ain't it. And maybe even coming off the bench at this point. To me, it's the same thing. This is what 2017 Melo was having to come to terms with, was that he was once an MVP level player. He was a great player, but... On 17, when the guy asked him, hey, would you come off the bench for this team? And he just laughed right. it off like it was totally out of the realm of possibility. And I was just thinking, well, that's actually not a terrible idea, though. <laughs> and so to, to laugh it off was, was just showed the mindset at that point. And I, I wonder where Westbrook is at with that, because for his next role, it really just might not be a starting point guard. Unless it's on a bad team somewhere that where he could just you know run up stats, basically. That's like the only other thing. If it's winning basketball... I don't think it's as a I don't know if it's as a starting point guard anymore. And I felt that way for pretty much the last year. So going to be interesting to see because L.A., this is looking every bit as hard as I thought that it could. You've been in organizations before. You've seen the effects of coaching. Have you heard anything from Darvin Ham? Because I know he's he hasn't given given too many specifics, but he's said some scheme things about how he would use Westbrook. And they, they wanted to hire. I, I don't this, see. This is where I'm confused, right? Like they hired a coach that's saying all the right things about using Westbrook at the same time as they're trying to get rid of him. So I, I just don't. There's a lot of confusion there. But had you heard anything from Darvin Ham that made you think that it could work coming into next season with Russ? I mean, I think the Darvin Ham's trying to get Russ to change, which you know, like I, it's exactly what everybody wants. It's exactly what everybody needs him to do. But it's something that he's not going to do. And 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 I don't know if that's even fair to Russ. He's played the same way for 11 years or however many years he's been in the league at this point. Like, good luck getting him to change, right? Like, I can't even change the slightest habit of mine. We're asking him to change <laughs> something that got him $47 million. Like, really? Like, that's going to be hard And 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 in that sense. But that's, that's also the job of Darvin Ham right now. 
That's the job for him. If Russ comes back, he's got to get Russ bought in in the role that they want Russ to play. And I find it very difficult. But I also want to say, like, he's got to say the things he's saying, right? Yeah. He can't be the one saying, you know, because you're right. He's saying all these things of like, we're going to make Russ work. This is going to work. We're going to make it happen. And meanwhile, the organization is like, yo, who wants Russ? <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and stuff. But that's the game. That's part of how this goes. He can't be out there saying it because the difference here is the front office can do all these negotiating and all these these things and, and, and talk about different players. And this also goes a little bit to what we're talking about with Jalen Brown. The coach is the one that has to see the guy every day. Right. The coach is the one that has to deal with them in the locker room every day, has to deal with them in practice, film session, everything they're going to deal with. They're, they're the ones that deal with them day to day. The front office doesn't have to deal with, they might deal with the guy day to day, but they don't have to, right? They can sit in their office. They can go, they're, they're off scouting college games, wherever other teams like they, they have a different schedule and a different beat to the whole thing. So that's kind of why you're hearing almost two mixed messages. And that's just the way it goes in, in, in this business, in this industry, right? Like, Darvin Ham says, as long as he's wearing a Laker jersey, I got to coach him. And that's that's his job. And and Rob Polinka's job is I got to find a place for Russ. And 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 it sounds counterintuitive. And so there's going to be different stuff in the media the, with, with how this goes. But that's the way it works. And Darvin Ham can't just say, yeah, we're trying to trade him. Yeah, I don't want to coach him, you know, because you've lost him before you even had a practice. And I think that's going to be the, the most important thing. And even if he comes back in, the Lakers need him to at least build up his trade equity, his trade value. Right, right. You know, and maybe they can make a move at the deadline and 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 get off of Russ and get something for him. But I think that's kind of the the scenario. And that's why it's a weird thing hearing it, hearing Darvin Ham and then hearing the rumors. But it's it's just this is just the situation. And it's it's actually kind of <laughs> kind of normal. Yeah. And the thing about a deadline deal is, once again, you're racing the LeBron clock right now, too, because you're trying to inspire confidence, at least the way I see it, you're trying to inspire confidence this season so he'll stay. We know LeBron will go wherever is, is best for him if he sees that, you know, this organization doesn't have it together. Like, just just on the topic of Darvin Ham, if he worked his best magic trick with Russell Westbrook, still look at the rest of the roster. It's really not good outside of LeBron and oh. Anthony Davis. It's it's like, I don't know if I would use the word awful roster, but it's not good. They don't have Malik Monk anymore. That was like one of the bright spots for him. I don't even think Melo has resigned. Has Melo not signed anywhere yet? They've not resigned anybody that was with the team last year. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Melo still might come back. Who knows what happens in that center? It was funny. Melo was the most consistent Laker. Exactly. Last year, it was kind of the funniest thing about it. Like he'd come in off the bench, and he would, and he, and, and his effort was high. Like he actually gave good effort. He actually tried defensively. <laughs> Trying defensively doesn't necessarily mean you got stops, but he gave effort and 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 was there in that scenario. I, the funny thing, Dom, is like I even like the moves they made in the off season. You know, it wasn't great, but for the position that they're in, that what was available to them. Yeah, I like I like Lonnie Walker. You know, hey, let's try to make see if we can kind of develop him a little bit and get him going the way we kind of jump started Malik Monk's career. I like the uh, the signing of Juan Toscano Anderson. I like you know um, 
gosh, I forget the other guys that they signed. Uh, Damian Jones, mm-hmm. another big man. Uh, Thomas Bryant, another big man. Like I like what they did. The bit, the funniest thing is, I still look at the roster going like, yeah, but that's a bad roster. Yeah, still no, still no shooting anywhere exactly. on that. The guys they got like hopefully can shoot. They're hopeful, like they might have had a good shooting run somewhere here and there uh, in one of their 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 run in the NBA, but it's like. None of it's been consistent, and they're still missing that. And that's the thing where it's like, okay, you got younger, you got a little more athletic, but where's the shooting? You know, and I don't right. feel like you got that much better defensively. So it's smart moves in the sense of this is the only moves that were probably available to them. But at the same time, I look at this team and I go like, shoot, man, like I don't know if you're a playing team in the Western Conference. For sure, I I really did like the Damian Jones move. I thought that was a guy that they needed a couple of years ago when they signed Andre Drummond. Um, I, I like Lonnie Walker. <clears throat> Excuse me. He showed a couple of flashes at the very end of the San Antonio season. I'm going, okay, that's cool. But also for like you said, for the stage that the Lakers are at and the heights that they're looking for, those are those are like okay, these are cool guys. It's not like oh, these are guys that are absolutely about to put a team in contending positions so yeah right these are these are cool guys if you're uh oklahoma city if you're a sacramento like trying to kind of rise up in the rankings they're not cool signings when you're trying to be like yo we're contending for a championship yeah and this is before you get to the part where you absolutely don't know what anthony davis you're gonna get this season you just you just don't and you have to you have to uh factor that in so to wrap all this up for the Lakers, the last thing I wanted to ask about was Russ's split between he and his agent. Did that strike anything with you? Because I saw a lot of people that felt very weird about the fact that his agent came out and gave the statement that he did, which he didn't outright say anything, but it seemed like he was getting at something with the way he worded the letter. And a lot of people, a lot of the media was saying, we typically don't see that when a player and agent go separate ways. We just kind of hear that they split. We don't see an exit letter or anything. So did that drum up anything with you? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a weird, weird letter because it's like everybody said. Separation of, of agent and player happens all the time. Happens probably like several times a, a year. Just, you know, a lot of people, sometimes we don't even hear it. And the uh, the letter side of it, though, was very abnormal um, to make it so public. And I think part of it was look at all the stuff we did together. But then the other part that was so weird about it was the, the area where he's like the where he outlined what the differences were was I think he needs to stay with the Lakers. He needs to play it out and do everything Darvin Ham says. And, it, and, and he made it seem like Russ doesn't want to do any of that. Russ is pushing for a trade. Russ is trying to push his way out of LA, which by the way, I totally understand because oh, yeah. it was incredibly toxic in Los Angeles for Russ. Who's from LA and the fans absolutely hated him, you know, yeah. in the, in the way of like the, 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 the narrative on Twitter, and I know we can always argue how real is Twitter and it's your own bubble or whatever, but that was all over the place and out of control. The fans themselves, like there was the game where he caught it wide open in the corner for a three and the crowd yelled, no, (laughs) like, yo, that's so wild, you know? And I think, so I think it's, so I kind of understand him. I understand if Russ is like, I don't want to play in front of these people anymore. I thought they were my home. I'm a UCLA kid. I thought this was going to be cool coming back home. I don't want to play here anymore. But for his agent to kind of say that was pretty interesting. And the most important thing I think the agent's trying to relay to Russ is you don't want to get bought out of this contract. 
you get bought out of this contract, there is no big contract back after that. You know, he's right. he, the agent is thinking, play out this contract, raise your value. We can try to get you a 15, 20 million dollar deal somewhere next year. Right. You're, you're definitely not getting 47 million. Um, but I think the the idea is if he goes somewhere, gets bought out, signs for the veteran minimum somewhere. That's it. He's a vet minimum guy everywhere else he goes. It's it's very similar to the humbling that Carmelo Anthony had to take, which we talked about briefly, right? Like, you know, that's that's the realization that you got to kind of come to is you're no longer a guy people are calling you and trying to uh, sign on the first day of free agency. You're like day eight, nine of free agency when teams are, have already spent their money. And I think that's what his agent is trying to avoid. Yeah, and it's so crazy to grow up watching these players and see it happen to them because for 90% of them, that, that day will come where you were a superstar player, MVP level player, and then teams are looking for you to come play a bench role. It might happen overnight as it seemingly, uh, I guess you probably wouldn't say that this was overnight. This has kind of been a couple of years in the making, but yeah, it's 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 really wild to watch play out in real time. Russ experience was so bad in Los Angeles that I, for a split second, questioned if he was going to pick up the deal for 47 million, which he, of course, you have to, because again, like you said, this is the last big money. I was like, LA was so toxic, man. Might he just pick it up and pack it up and go somewhere else? But business wise, that, that would have made absolutely zero sense. And so here we are, July. 25th. I don't care how toxic it is, 47 million. You're taking that yeah. deal, dude. Like you figure out the rest later. Uh, you're picking up that option. <laughs> yeah, it only it only slightly crossed my mind, but yeah, it, you know, as those days were were coming in hot and the people were signing their deals, I'm just going, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna pick this up and let them figure the rest out. You you don't not take that. So we talked about Russ. You don't see him being moved. You don't see KD being moved yet or before the end of the season or end of the offseason, which by extension, I would assume means you think Kyrie is probably going to start the season in Brooklyn as well. The very last one that I had there was Donovan Mitchell. Do you think a Donovan Mitchell trade happens? Because the the Jazz got a, a start over package for Rudy Gobert, in my opinion. And so I even when they were saying, oh, we're not trading Donovan Mitchell, we're building around him. That didn't make much sense. That lasted for all of two weeks and here we are with trade talks do you think he gets moved before the the season or is that going to be another one that takes a little little while to play out no i i think he does get traded he's okay. probably the one guy on that list i i, I know i've killed a lot of the traits <laughs> possibilities <laughs> today i think that one happens and i think you just said it you know it, it was so funny utah trying to convince us that they were going to not trade donovan mitchell after we saw the package they got for rudy gobert it's like yo you guys are tanking we know it. It's pretty clear. Like, it's pretty obvious, guys. Like, don't insult our intelligence. And then literally a week or two later, like, yeah, we're taking calls. Um, and ultimately, I think it's, a, hey, they're going after, uh, you, you know, they, they, they've kind of targeted the Knicks. You know, the Knicks want Mitchell. The Knicks have a whole lot of young guys and about eight first-round picks they can move. Some of their own picks, some, of, some from other teams. They have four from other teams. Uh, I, I think three in just next year's draft. All of them are protected, but draft picks are currency to make deals happen. And I think that's something that we're going to see. I think the Knicks are trying to play a little bit of hardball here mm -hmm. and not trying to include too many picks and too many young guys. But I think ultimately we see Donovan Mitchell getting traded to the Knicks. I don't think, you know, Miami wants to get involved. They don't have a package that makes it interesting. I the, the thing for Utah is they don't want to take back a, con a guy like Tyler Hero knowing that, hey, we have to extend him 
Right. Or we have to, or, or his restricted free agency is up and we got to pay for him. Same thing for RJ Barrett. It's not a shot about whether this guy is good or not. It's more, we want to suck right now. We want to tank for Webb Yama. We don't want to be good. We want to make sure we're in a position to get one of, to have one of the three worst records in the NBA. Sucks for the league, you know, and it's, it's right. not what the league wants in general, but that's what Utah is signaling with their trade. So, I think they make a move unless another suitor comes up. I really think the Knicks are just bidding with the, against themselves when it comes to Utah. I just saw a Shams report that said Sacramento is interested in Donovan Mitchell. Um, cool. I don't know for what. You know, um, yeah. I imagine they're going to send in. It's going to be mostly draft picks and things like that. So maybe that's something that will help Utah try to leverage the Knicks into giving them more. And sometimes you also have to wonder where the where the noise is coming from, right? Is that a real interest from Sacramento? Is that Utah leaking they had a conversation with Sacramento because they want the Knicks to add in two more draft picks? You know, there's always that kind of game being played. It's it's like we talked about Brooklyn leaking the Boston stuff because I'm willing to bet 100% that came from Brooklyn. Um, you, you, you know, I think that's part of the game in these negotiations. So um, for me... I think he's a Nick. I don't see anybody really kind of coming and running through. And again, three years left on his deal. Teams are going to be calling and checking to see if they can make a move for him. But I think ultimately the Knicks give up a, a pretty big package for him. But that's what I was going to ask. You, you were saying they were playing hardball. How far do you go in if you're the Knicks? Because I see them gripping with the the fact that you might have to part with a, a top end and of course rj barrett's name comes up and you're looking at a player at the caliber of mitchell like are you going top in barrett picks and and like how, how far are you going for donovan mitchell if if you're new york do you think well one i don't think utah wants barrett and i don't okay. think it's a matter of skill they just don't want to pay him right right and i think that's because he's gonna i think he's up for an extension this year oh, or okay, next so, year yeah and, that's and, like another tyler hero situation tyler hero situation okay, right yeah. and i think so I think really what the the Knicks are looking at going like pick a combination of Toppin, Quickly, Grimes. Um, I think there's one other name in there that I that I can't remember off the top of my head, and 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 a certain number of picks and pick swaps and things like that. I think that's for me. If I'm the Knicks, I would say every time you're taking a young guy, I'm taking a pick off the the deal. Right. right. You want four young guys? I'm going to give you two. Two, uh, maybe two or three draft picks. By the way, this is also why I'm not a general manager, folks. Um, I probably would never get a deal done. Um, but there's a whole lot of that back and forth, you know, and and, and you got to figure it out. Because here's the thing the Knicks don't want to do. They don't want to gut everything to get Mitchell. And now, like, just how good do you think Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, and Julius Randle, and let's say R.J. Barrett can actually take you right. in the Eastern Conference? It's pretty tough. You know, I feel like you're looking at it going like, hey, that's that's not easy. And I think, you know, especially with the down year Randall had, I think, you know, uh, you have to wonder if that first year as a Nick was a fluke or was last year a fluke. Like, there's a lot of stuff up in the air there. I think you got to figure that out. And, and I think you got to make sure you at least you want to be able to make the next move after you get Donovan Mitchell. And I think that's something the Knicks are a little bit aware of and 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 wary of giving up like everything for for Mitchell and I think that's part of the hold up here in the trade. 
Right, right. Well, as you mentioned, you wouldn't be a general manager, but you were once a video coordinator, which I was always very fascinated by. Again, from the first time that we did an NBA Twitch show together many months ago. And if I'm I'm not mistaken, Eric Spolster was a video coordinator as well before he became coach, correct? There there have been several. Eric yeah. Spolster, uh, Mike Budenholzer, uh, James Brago, who was just like go in... Um, uh, Charlotte at the end of this season like there there uh, Frank Vogel was a video coordinator there right. there's a lot of them there's a lot of them that's why I thought I had a shot at it um, <laughs> <laughs> what is was that was that actually a goal of yours you were hoping to become a head coach one day I in, did in- I did I did want to coach at the NBA that was that was my goal hey I, I have more questions about that later that, that's actually a cool thing to write down here but for the people who might not know because i feel like we hear the term video coordinator all the time and we've seen a couple of pictures but for your time with the los angeles clippers and the san antonio spurs what did being a video coordinator actually entail what were you doing for the team who were you actually interacting with that type of thing yeah so it's the technology's changed a little bit but when i first got to the league i was mainly working on draft stuff all through the season and doing some stuff, and this is my first year with the Clippers as an intern, doing just mostly draft stuff. I'd be at some of the games. Sometimes our video room would be a bit crowded, so uh, I was uh, politely asked to stay home um, <laughs> and, and and that stuff. So I wasn't around the team as much my first season with the Clippers, but I was constantly working on draft videos and, and helping our front office and our scouting office make sure they always had the edits they needed on guys. Now, of course... Synergy came along and 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 changed things, and now it's so much easier for front offices to get that. I probably wouldn't have been as valuable now doing draft stuff as I would have been back then. But um, what you're mainly doing, and what I eventually graduated to with the Clippers, was you're really responsible for a lot of the game breakdowns, and so uh, uh, opponent scout. So I'm the Clippers. We're playing the Jazz in in you know, two weeks, it's my responsibility to make sure I have the the last five jazz games broken down. I've given it to the assistant coach whose scouting report that is. Work with him on developing the scouting report. Make sure he has everything he needs, stats, things like that. Make sure the head coach has what he needs in terms of scouting reports as he starts to prepare for that stuff. You're also breaking down your own team stuff. Every game, you're breaking those games down. You're making sure we have edits ready for coaches. You're responsible for all the film sessions and things like that right right. it is the hardest job it is one of the hardest jobs there's a lot of hard jobs in the nba it is the for me the most time consuming job you're literally the first one in you're the last one out you know there there have been nights i've slept at the office there have been you know all the, the the prep that goes into it and things like that it's it's also a situation dom where you can't help but learn basketball in there Mm-hmm. you really can't because you're just watching film so much like it'd be funny like every now and then people would say to me like man you don't watch the games or you don't know what you're talking about or i or this or that and i just go like bro i've had to watch four games in one day like what are you talking about like i don't like it's i've watched more basketball you know than 90 eight percent and i'm being a little generous i could just say 99 of 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 of, of, uh, then fans you know because i'm watching every team i'm on top of all these things and you're 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 really covered and 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 locked into those things so you know when you're in the video room 
you're grinding and the goal isn't to stay in the video room the goal is to graduate out of the video room because that's it's it's a hard job but it's the mail room of the nba especially if you're not like a former player it's got to be great being on twitter and getting hit with the you don't know basketball trademark when you've like probably like you said watching one game in a night for you is lightweight because you spent you it's, probably- a, it's a day off it's a day off dom one game or it's a it's a it's like i'm like i feel weird sometimes even now there's like off season and i'm like all right should i pull up some old boston or some some old detroit pistons games like should right, i start right. getting ready on you know it's not even like the let me make sure i know what's going on with orlando you know it's uh-huh. it's that kind of stuff um but the funny thing is and whenever i get that on twitter and it, and it's corny and cheesy and maybe i need to come up with a new line i, I always just respond going like oh i was talking about badminton like it's like you know like i is always kind of my response like yeah i don't know what i'm i'm a badminton guy you've seen the world championship <laughs> or i'll google some random sport like right, when's right. the world championships for this sport hopefully it's going on now and i could be like oh i was talking about the cricket uh <laughs> <laughs> world cup or whatever you know um right, right. yeah but it's, it's just the way it's just the way it goes if you if people disagree with you or you haven't watched enough of my team i'm like okay well you know i've mm-hmm. I've, I've trust me i've watched enough basketball at this point to almost pick up on the rhythms right of a, right. Of, of, of a game unfortunately none of this helps me in gambling <laughs> as soon as i put money down it just goes the exact opposite oh that's great that's great yeah you feel, you feel like that might help and then you know all of a sudden that, that's why i've oh, never uh, could never get into it I, I could all my friends are like what do you got and i'm like man you want to lose money let me tell you <laughs> i'm uh i'm glad you mentioned the difficulty of the job because uh, i'm not sure you're, you're probably familiar on twitter with steve jones jr who was of also, course yeah so he did uh, I'm pretty sure he was also a video coordinator, and yeah, I remember yeah, he was during the playoffs. I want you to talk about your experience with this because what he described was kind of crazy, and I could imagine. So, just in a little bit, you were talking about, and this is just regular days during the season. He was talking about as you get to the postseason, and you're having to cut up stuff and help teams game plan for whichever matchup they're going to see in the next round. So, say like you're you're the Spurs and you're waiting to see who gets out of, I don't know, a Houston Maverick series. And you're literally coming up with stuff for both teams, just in case you play one of them. Is that something that you ever dealt with? Is that a scenario you ever had to deal with? My last season in the NBA, we had a possibility going into like the last night, four different teams. Oh my gosh. It was something wild. It was golden state it was memphis um denver uh there was one other team and we're literally and you know i was with doc rivers his first year with the clippers was my last and doc loves these massive playoff books so we literally had the entire video room we had doc's assistant we had uh coaches whose scout it was we had like everybody all hands on deck basically in the video room like working on different scouting reports because that's what you're doing you're as soon as the game last game ended doc wanted these playoff books on everybody's chair oh my and and locked in and so it was whoever and we were were we were the last game of the night so we were gonna know at that point uh doc's assistant basically had the people at kinko's on standby to just like fly through this thing um you know, you're you're putting together these massive books. You're putting together these massive edits. I always started playoff prep way early because I just hated the concept of being in the office all night. Right. Um, 
and and literally like i would start putting stuff together in like mid-march knowing that we're only going to play one of these teams and the, the standings are going to shift but i need to start having almost a groundwork laid so that we can just roll through once we have an understanding the good news for teams is and this is something steve didn't get to experience something i didn't get to experience is if you're not in the playing tournament you have four or five days right it's entirely different right like mm-hmm. what it, back, back when i was in the league season ended on like a wednesday playoff started saturday right you know you if you were if you were that first set of games and uh, and if you were if you didn't have home court advantage you were flying on friday you know so you're you're in a a and and and, and hopefully you're playing at home that wednesday night <laughs> you know because it, 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 there's so many different things and wrinkles to all of this stuff um you know but you're always preparing for these things and now you know teams if you're in the top six yo season ends now granted the top two seeds don't know who they're playing yet but three four five and six they know they get the advantage of at least hey we can lock in for the next week you know they get almost a week and then start to 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 do it so there's i wonder i would be curious if the planning has shifted a little bit easier but back in the day man that playoff prep was the most stressful and um you know, I started a website a long time ago. This is how I got in the media stuff, the jumpball.net. And I posted a video because there's one Jamal Crawford won the uh six man of the year award. And at the end of that speech, he gave me a shout out and told kind of the story because hmm. I would always work out with him at practices. And he saw me after one practice towards the end of uh the we're getting re- we're doing playoff prep and stuff, and he's like, Man, Mo, you look terrible. <laughs> like, you know, and I'm like, I go like, yeah. I, I haven't slept. I, I I go like I think we just flew in from Portland the night before, and I just went straight to the office. Didn't even go home. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, being a video coordinator not good for your social life. There is none. <laughs> just just understand that one there. Um, but just went straight to the office, worked for a few more hours, and then slept in the office. Then went to practice. Um, and and you know I kind of just told us yeah I haven't really slept. I slept maybe two hours. I was working all night. And he kind of looked at me kind of confused, but then he understood like that's playoff prep. Right. That's the stuff we're working on. And meanwhile, playoff prep's going on during the season, so we have regular prep for games. Just because I'm working on playoff prep doesn't mean I can't have film ready for our game against the Memphis Grizzlies that night. Right. You know, and, and all of those things. So you're you're turning and burning as much as you can, and it's a grind. And I think the the uh, playoff prep is probably the hardest. The first round, getting up to the first round, is the hardest for every team to prep for. After that, it gets easier. Mm-hmm. Those of y'all listening, if you had any aspirations of being a video coordinator, this is a this is a gold mine for you to know what you may or may not be getting yourself into. Because no, run is- <laughs> as fast as you can. <laughs> no, I'm 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 kidding. Because like I do want to say this, I loved my time in the 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 video coordination uh, video room. Mm-hmm. Like the guys I met, the guys I, I I the basketball I learned, the people I got to learn under. Um, I loved all that stuff. The work is tedious. It's hard and it's a grind, but the relationships I got to build out of that and everything with that. And, and I wouldn't be here being able to do the stuff I do in the media. If I wasn't in the video room, you know, and I, and I think that's an important aspect to it. And so I'm always thankful of it. So when I joke about running, I would just say, Hey, just be ready for the grind. And you might think you're ready. It's it's, you, you might think you understand it. You don't tell you're in it. And it, and it beats you up and it's hard. And I know a lot of guys who, who, 
who've done it, stuck with it, and have gone really far. I know a lot of guys who got burnt out and, and didn't make it. And and so I think it's kind of, it's going to beat you up and you're going to find out. It's it's that scenario. But if you're not, if you're not a former player, if you don't, you know, um, unfortunately, nepotism is a thing. So if you're not somehow related, it's the mailroom. It's the mailroom into the into the NBA, and it doesn't guarantee success. But you have to get it. It's hard to get in, and when you get in, it's harder to stay. And I think that's the important thing you got to understand. So you told a little bit of a story with Jamal Crawford there and your time with the Clippers. Also worked with Spurs, who for a while, obviously regarded as the best organization in the league. And I'm curious, were you close enough to have a perspective on like what set Greg Popovich apart from other coaches? Because I know at the end of the day, like right now, Spurs are clearly tanking and uh, no matter how much, no matter how good a coach is, they got to have a certain amount of talent. But you were, you know, you were in the organization. Did you see enough to have an opinion on that and see the type of things that Pop did or interactions with the teammates or just that organization in general that allowed them to compete for championships pretty much up until the time Kawhi Leonard left? Yeah, I think, you know, I loved my two years in San Antonio under Pop. Like, I love Coach Pop. He's, to me, an absolute legend. Like, there's no question. There's no if ands, or buts about it to me. He's... To me, the best coach in the NBA, the best to have ever done it. And I think he's a better man than he is a coach. And I think that's kind of the things I say about him. And what I mean by that is he cared about everybody. First off, with the Spurs, the players came first. You would think that'd be the same in every organization. I promise you it's not. Um, But the players absolutely come first. They come before Pop. And if Pop's saying it, everybody else is going to follow underneath that. You know, and I think the the important thing there about how Pop gets buy on buy in from everybody, he treats all the players the same. He's gonna yell at Matt Bonner just as hard as he's gonna yell at Tim Duncan, and part of it is Tim Duncan let him be coached. Some of this is Tim gets has to take some get some credit in this. Tim was willing to be coached, and I think that's the important thing in that. And because of that, that allowed Pop to be get hard on Tim to go after other guys. Because other guys, you know, whatever, the sixth man, seventh, eighth, ninth man, whatever, they can't be that mad if Pop comes down hard on him if he's also going hard at Tim. And the other thing, and this is the most important thing, and this is stuff for coaches to understand. After he went at a guy, yo, we would walk out of a film room and he'd be joking with the guy. <laughs> he always let it be known. None of this is personal. I'm trying to get the best out of you so that we can win games. That's all we're working for here. We're trying to win games. None of this is personal. And I would see him literally rip a dude apart in a film room, come out of the film room, have his arm around the guy, and they're laughing and joking and this and that, you know, on their way to practice, you know, and during practice and things like that. You know, Pop had the understanding of, I'm with these guys and 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 because he was so visible with those guys and 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 around them he's like I'm going to coach you hard but I'm going to be and I'm going to be real with you but I'm also going to care about you as a person. He knew about their families. He understood what was going on with them. Hey, what's going everything good? Is your wife good? Is your kids good? Da da da. Pop was all about that stuff. And Pop was more than just a coach. Like he would he'd bring in he talk about some random stuff in the film session just world history and things like that, you know, and, and, and guys would be listening, you know, so like pop kind of understood it and treated these guys more like people than I think I've seen any coach at all, you know, and, and 
was and I and, and it allowed him to be pop. And I think that's the important aspect of it is even when he got on a guy, they understood why he was getting on them. And it was never, man, pop just hates me. Mm-hmm. No, it was, it was, yo, pop wants you to be better at this. That's kind of the deal there. And, and some players, by the way, can't handle that. Oh, yeah. And that's an important aspect with that. You know, there are players that literally struggle with that. I'm going to call out a guy and I might be unfair, but did you see the Cam Thomas interview at Summer League? Yes. Yeah, I what, know which what, one you're talking about, yeah. Right, you know, where, you know, they're, they're, he's, you know, he had a good game. And the reporter talks about how Nash, by the way, before the game, the reporter had spoken to Nash and they were talking about they wanted to be more of a playmaker and stuff. And Cam Thomas rolls his eyes. I'm like, bro, he's just trying to make you a better player. And also, if you become a better player, you make more money in this league. It's just a very <laughs> simple fact. Like, he's trying to help you. And in that process, also help the team. But, you know, you're rolling your eyes at that. I'm like, dude, don't play for Coach Pop, man. You ain't ever going to make it. Like, that's, I mean, that's going to be a thing. And 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 I think that, that's the type of stuff. And I'm not trying to say this in terms of Cam Thomas is a bad kid. He's young. This is going to be his second year in the league and things like that and all that stuff. And he's got growing to do. Um, but it was just one example of it. And I think that's an important thing you, you, you need to watch for. And I think that's something coaches got to figure out is how do I coach these kids? Yeah, and it's it's fascinating to hear that he was able to get through to sounds like most players that way because I sense that coaches in the NBA would like to be able to do that, like walk that line between ripping a guy to you know be able to challenge him and then also still maintaining that relationship so it's not strained, which in turn doesn't make the game harder. So yeah, it sounds pretty similar to to things I've heard about Pop. You know, obviously he had the talent throughout the years, but he managed it. They stayed. Guys took pay cuts to stay. Had that same core for a very long time. And on, to be honest, if the Kawhi situation hadn't went south, they'd probably still be contending today. Um, but, but you know, that's a whole thing with themselves. And the other thing, and we we actually, Dom, when we were on the NBA Twitch stream, right? Like you saw how much fun those young kids had celebrating Pop's win. Yeah. When he won the became the all time winning as coach, like they were celebrating it with him more than him, you know, yeah. <laughs> and jumping up and down and stuff. That's because those kids loved him, right? Okay. If, if if let me just be honest, if they didn't really mess with him, they'd be like, whatever. Hey, congrats, Pop, and walk off the floor. Mm-hmm. Like they all hugged him and and jumped up and down with him and this and that. It was Pop going like, all right, let's get to the locker room, guys. <laughs> like leave right. me alone, <laughs> right? Like it's along those lines, but like. That's what I'm talking about. You can see the actual stuff that guys actually care, you know, when when he's playing with them because they get the under they get the the feeling that he cares about them. And I think sometimes we don't have that with coaches. On the topic of coaches, and this is the very last thing here as I wrap up, you did say at the at the onset of this that it was a goal of yours to be a coach. I always said there was two jobs, like in some parallel universe, if I'm really, really working in basketball that I would never want to do. One of those is being a referee. The other for me is being a coach. Those seem like the two most difficult, detail-oriented, and thankless jobs. What was it drawing you? I mean, obviously, they, they get a really nice paycheck, so that's one thing. But aside from that, what was it drawing you to wanting to be a coach in a professional league? Because I even talked about this with the last guy I had on the podcast. It really seems like uh, from the public's view, 
they judge coaches based on whether the teams won or not. Of course, these days, more more coverage. People are starting to dig into the adjustments a coach makes a little bit and then rotations. But then that's about it. We don't see all the other stuff. Like you just told us with Pop, we don't see all of that. It's a very thankless thing. So what was it that what was it drawing you to that really extremely difficult job? It's it's an unbelievably hard job. And there's a great article from Kevin Arnovitz talking about coaches day in and day out. It's a couple years old. You'll have to look for it on ESPN. Um, what we see on the court is really the tip of the iceberg in terms of what they manage. You know, like, and we all do it. I do it too. I'm just as big a jerk as everybody else, critiquing the rotations and what are you doing and why are you using this timeout? I like I'm the same way. What an incredibly dumb challenge. This is so dumb. I would do this. Like all of that stuff. We all do it. That is a small quarter of what coaches do. They have to manage their players, and a lot of that is done behind the scenes. A lot of times when we complain about rotations, it's because they know something about whatever pairing that they have that they can't play they always have and we got to remember this and i got to remind myself this too they always have more information than us mm -hmm. so when it comes down to um man why don't they stagger this guy their minutes or whatever it looks so easy well they probably have information that tells them hey this guy isn't so effective when the other guy's off the floor or vice versa and things like that we need to keep that pair together okay cool or hey why don't they play him more minutes well he's only good the training staff has told this the the coaching staff he can only go for six minute stints or whatever he, after that he starts to get hurt he starts to fade and he might get hurt and i think that's the 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 stuff you're watching for in those things when we're we're talking about it and that's just rotations coaches got to decide when to practice when to have shoot around what time the buses are leaving it's always the funniest thing when you have a first time assistant coach coaching the summer league team because that coach always goes like man i got to decide what time the buses leave <laughs> i got to decide like you know it's it, there's so many things you have to kind of look at and 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 evaluate on top of that you know you're you're dealing with the locker room and who's good in the locker room what's when you know the, the the small things in terms of relationships and so and so's beefing with so and so how do we fix this or whatnot or this we're losing the locker room or these guys are stuff or how long do we go at film how it, it sounds crazy but these are all the conversations and all the stuff they got to look into what are we showing should i give the guys an off night this guy's been going hard should i give him a uh skip a game but man we're in the playoff race we really might need this win down the road so many decisions that they got to make and, and there's so many things that go into it coaching so incredibly tough and dom like part of the reason why i want to be a coach is i'm probably crazy the, the, <laughs> but like part of it too is like there is a unbelievable feeling when you put in a game plan the players execute it and you come away with a win like that feeling is so damn good you know and it's addictive it's literally a drug you want to do it again and you want to do it again and you want it over and over again you want to get as high as possible on that drug and i think that's kind of the the, the thing that drew me to it more than anything else was just being able to put this whole thing in motion um, and I think that's kind of the stuff. I mean, part of the reason why I also couldn't, uh, part of the reason why I wanted to coach was because I couldn't play 5'10". Like I'm not, <laughs> you know, I really would have wanted to have been a player, but that didn't work out. Right, um, right. So the next best thing is coaching. And I think that was, that was part of it. But the idea of game planning and putting it all together and, and 
almost like a puzzle mm-hmm. and strategy. And then when you do something, you know, you, you you really kind of feel something. I know I'm rambling, but let oh, me no, just give good. you a quick a quick story because this was like the one thing that that really stuck with me mm-hmm. when I was in San Antonio. I was working with Brett Brown, like that was the coach I was assigned to. So all his scouting reports, I was responsible for. We had the Lakers. We're playing the Lakers on Easter Sunday. Um, we are the Lakers are our rival. San Antonio Lakers, like we know that that history. As I'm scouting the team, as I'm preparing film, I'm noticing off the triangle, Kobe's making a read. When the defense cheats it, he pops back and gets a clean jumper. He's gotten like four, you know, four of those in, in, in these couple of games. It's a small stuff. It's not enough to make the scouting report, but it's enough for me to make a small edit and pull Coach Brown aside, you know, before they leave to San Antonio. And I wasn't on the road trip for that one. I I show Brett these 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 four or five clips of this and 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 kobe instead of making the slice cut sees the defense cheating pops back and brett looks at me and goes do you think that's a read or an option i go now part of it too is like i don't want to be wrong mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know but i said i say to brett going like i'm 90 percent sure this is a read because he's watching the defender and that's how we were going to play it right we're going to cheat the screen we know kobe's going to come across and post up i said this has happened so much to kobe lately he's making a read out of this and also, this is why Kobe's, you know, such a great player, right? His 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 ability to see that and think that. And sure enough, you know, Brett's like, I think I agree with you. I think it's a read. I'll make sure the guys are ready for that. We play them on Easter Sunday that I'm watching the game from San Antonio. You know, it's I see Kobe trying to make that pop back and, and we were ready. We almost baited him into the pop back mm-hmm. and we get a stop. We do it again, and we get a stop. We win this game by like six, seven points or something like that in L.A. It was a big win for us. Right. Brett is immediately calling me after the game going like, did you see it? Did you see it? We stopped him. We got it. Great. Like you know, And it's like for me, I'm like walking around my apartment with my hands raised like, yes, I brought us this victory. Had nothing to do with Tim, Tony, and Manu. It was all me because I found – but, you know, it's that it's – that, that feeling you get and that's right. coaching right it's that kind of stuff it's the stuff when you work with the guy and you see him start making the shots you're working on and things like that it's it's that feeling it's it's that's the stuff i love about coaching and 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 that's the stuff i think coaches really love about it in general that is a really amazing story because i think that helps some of us get a bit closer to the game for the things that we will never see or hear about so we see that on the floor and it, i think from a fan perspective like again yeah it, it doesn't go past the head coach i think most of the times we we see an adjustment on the floor and it didn't even go past that so to hear a story about you from the the video room just seeing that tiny detail and changing the outcome of a game that that is that is pretty awesome because those are things that we just wouldn't even actually know to think about um but uh, also unironically this does help me understand a little bit more about jerry kraus and what he what he saw with the bulls in the the 90s just because of the drug you described i was always just uh i always had so many questions after watching the last dance and so i i can at least understand a little bit more about how you probably felt like he was the architect of that all and seeing the vision play out that that you wrote down on a piece of paper basically um i I mean not to defend kraus yeah well he did make some good moves guys like he's the one that hired (laughs) phil jackson like we understand how that all ended but he also made some good moves folks like there's some of that you know like we we not not to defend him because he is 
you know, there is a little bit of arrogance in the, uh, oh, for sure. no, no, the organization won the championship yeah. type of stuff <laughs> in, in those lines. But that's also something, see, that's the difference, right? When you talk about San Antonio, mm -hmm. that's something Pop would never say. Yeah. Pop will always say, yo, we're here because Tim Duncan, mm -hmm. right? Like he knew why they were where they were as an organization. It's because Tim Duncan, because they won the lottery, which was luck, and they got Tim Duncan, and Tim was great. And that's where it started. And 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 I think that's the difference, right? Kraus was looking at it going like, it's me. I can build this team again. <laughs> I can make us better. And the Bulls haven't been to the finals since then, right? Like, yeah. So I think that there's a lot of that. Yeah. Ego in sports, right? That's that's how it happens. Like you got a great thing and whether it's a player, coach, or in this coach in this case, the, the general manager, like, you know, ego happens and it, it can tear something beautiful down. So that, that's part of why Clay Thompson's so great. Yeah. That's part of why that's actually part of why the whole Warriors as a whole works. Like, think about it this way. Cause we we always look at it this and I know I'm steering us into weird places. Oh no, you're but good. Detailed. How, how how many questions do we say like can Clay lead his own team? Right? Like there's all that stuff. Clay doesn't care. <laughs> a guy, a guy, like how many guys that have been in Clay's position eventually want to go have a bigger role on another team? Right. You know, he's pissed off he didn't make the top 75 or whatever. Part of that's because he never got to lead his own team and he played with Steph. The other thing with Steph, how many guys who've won back to back MVPs would say, like, yeah, go get Kevin Durant? Yeah. I'll make it. I, I will sacrifice. Go get Kevin Durant. Like, that makes sense. I'll give up a chance to win three MVPs or whatever and things like that. There is an element of unselfishness that sometimes, like, it's so rare. And that's kind of what makes the Warriors so special is just how unselfish they are as a whole because those guys literally just care about winning. And you can kind of see it in a lot of them. And it, it, it's it's pretty impressive. And we don't – sometimes we lose sight of that, and I think some guys do. And it's very easy to get tripped up in the ego. Hell, I get tripped up in my own little ego from time to time. Like, it's it's very simple. It's something that can just happen. So um, I think we got to celebrate those when we see them. Absolutely. That is the reason why we are moving on to the 2023 season. And the Warriors could be working on their fifth championship since 2015. It's not that far away. Mo, very much appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know for a fact that you will be back probably before the offseason ends, but definitely during the season. We said it's through the eyes of a video coordinator. So there's many things that you could help us see that we might not see the first or second time. Do you, yeah, matter of fact, do you uh, make a habit of rewatching games throughout the season? Like a regular season game, you go back and rewatch it more than once. Absolutely. There's no, listen, like there's no, there's stuff I miss on the first watch. There are times I have to rewind the game. You know, I'm, I'm old. I'm still, I still have a satellite. Like I literally get leak pass on the satellite so I can literally oh, wow. just rewind very quickly so that I can watch the game, right. you know, so I can go see something that happened real quickly in the game, you know, and, 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 Oh, how'd that happen? Who missed that cut? Who missed that rotation? You know, or, or things like that. It's not, I'm, tr I'm trained to do this, but I don't catch everything in real time. I don't think anybody really oh, can yeah. catch everything in real time. So I think there's some of that, to it but i definitely will go back and go like man that was a great game last night let me rewatch it and try to find some other things that i might have missed so you know it's it's that simple and then for just i don't expect casual fans to catch these things and it's by the way they're not supposed to you'd be a freak <laughs>
You're not supposed to. It took me years in the video room to now be able to just watch it and catch it right away. Like it's not, you're not supposed to folks. It's okay. Um, you know, you, you get better at it, but it's like, Hey, this is the way it goes. And I think that's, um, the, the scenario, but yeah, I, I have to rewatch games all the time. Yeah, no, it, it's very much okay to admit that you don't see everything or you don't understand everything. That's why I make a habit. That's why my whole Twitter following is, is people that are smarter than me at this type of stuff because I want to see. I watch the game and then someone like you or Steve will pop up a thread and I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I didn't see like half of this. Well, even in my rewatch, I didn't see that. So uh, the detail of basketball, I love it. The things that actually happen on the court, I've come to like that far more than narratives, which I would say when I first started making content, definitely more narrative based. But yeah, it's just a beautiful game. Love to watch it at the breakdown level, which you do do breakdowns uh, on Twitch. Uh, let people know where they can find you on Twitter, Twitch, or where they can find any of your content that you want to plug in. Uh, I will also have that linked in the description of this podcast. Yeah, so the the easiest thing is find me on Twitter, M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. Um, I do do a Twitch feed during the season where I'll do breakdowns and run through close games, especially close games. The last few minutes of games, I love doing it. And that's where I'm also the most critical of coaches and players. So enjoy. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, But, you know, we fly through those things and, and, and kind of break that stuff down. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see all my stuff. You'll see when I have an article out. You'll see when I have a... a podcast coming out you'll see when i have uh twitch streams you'll see when i drop videos and you'll be able to follow along during games when i start dropping clips in real time all right this has been fun uh you know in the audience that this is on youtube spotify it's on apple Podcasts. everything that you want to find will be in the description including mo stuff mo thank you for once again coming on and i will see y'all sometime this week actually got another special guest coming on in the next seven days or so so much appreciated hit the bell next to my name if you want notifications every time a podcast drops and i will see y'all on the next one